0: Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. We are reading from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more.
1: Good Good morning. A few announcements Before we begin, you all have one of these uh, juice and wafer cups. Just a a little technical um, advice. There is a piece of film right here that you're going to peel off when we do this at the end of the sermon. The wafers there, and then after that, the juice. If you grab it from the bottom, you're going to wonder where the wafer went. And it's going to be between the two pieces of plastic. So, um, I'm excited to to do the Lord's supper with with you um, this morning. It's been six months, like we've been talking about. It's been too long. Um, so that that's one announcement. We we still need people volunteers to help cleaning the church. If it's something that you think you could do, uh, please see Lori McNaughton. Um, but we are still looking for volunteers for cleaning. Wednesday, September 30th, uh, I'm going to begin a, a Bible study here at the church at 6.30. Um, 6.30 Wednesday nights, Bible study, prayer, and fellowship. So that's not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that. We'd love to see you if it's something that you'd be interested in doing. It's going to be focused at least for the, the, the beginning on... Um, Biblical theology, which if if you're wondering what that is, the sermon today is going to be biblical theology. So it's basically just tracing one idea in the scriptures from the beginning all the way to the end. And there's a lot of that in the scriptures, and biblical theology opens them up in a, in a way that I think is very helpful to, to us in, in knowing and in worshiping our God. Um, so the elders it, it, have been praying and thinking through. Hey, are we doing enough here um, for for protecting people with COVID? And and I know like people are all over the spectrum, anywhere from hey this is complete hoax to um, very very scared. And so we we've been thinking that through. We've been praying about it. I think we're going to be leaning towards possibly recommending masks in the uh, foyer area, all right? We haven't made that decision yet, but we, we are thinking through that, praying through that. Uh, we want to protect you and all of us. We, that's, I mean, we, we have to, to, to be thinking of that. We, we don't know. We're, I would imagine everyone in here believes different things about it and there's different things in the news and we, we, we just don't know, but we want to protect Our people. So again, I'm not saying that's happening, but that is most likely coming um, uh, here in in the near future. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We we thank you that that you have given us your Word, and you've given us a sign of the new covenant, which is communion, the Lord's Supper. You've commanded this, and it has so much meaning and and so much, Lord, that we're not going to be able to unpack it here, but we pray for your Spirit to just enlighten our hearts and our minds, to, to give us an understanding of what is happening and why it's happening and who you are, so we can love you more, Lord. Help us to worship through your word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2001, Amy and I stood before a pastor in a church, and we said wedding vows to each other, and we, we were married. And many of you have, have, have done that as well. And, and we said things like, hey, I'll, I'll be with you No matter what, no matter what happens, I'll be with you through sickness, through health, through good times, through bad times, through pain, loss, hardship, through arguments, through weeks or days where you wake up and you're like annoyed at, the, the, at, at your spouse and you don't even know why. We, we said these vows and marriage is a covenant, a marriage covenant. There's a reason why God requires marriage between a man and a woman, because kids need that. In, in, a, in a family, they need to know mom and dad aren't going anywhere, and we unfortunately live in a, in a broken world, and many marriages, and many marriages in this room have, have dissolved, and God has grace for your kids and grace for you in that. Don't mishear me. But God has designed marriage for the flourishing of the family, and the marriage is a covenant. Tom Schreiner says this about covenants. He says, covenant is one of the most important words in the Bible since it introduces one of the central theological themes in Scripture. Covenant is a relationship that sets it apart from a contract. Contracts also contain promises and obligations, but they are impersonal and non-relational. Covenants stand apart from contracts because the promises are made in relational context. We're not surprised to learn then that marriage in the scriptures is described as a covenant. In marriage, a husband and a wife choose to enter a covenant relationship, and they make binding promises to each other, pledging lifelong loyalty and faithfulness. Covenant is how God relates to his people. Covenant. It's not how he relates to all people. It's how God relates to his people. Children, through covenants. We're going we're to trace some of this throughout the scripture today. Uh, to give you an example, my marriage covenant is only with Amy. It's not with any other woman. I, the things that I've vowed to her, and I'll be there through thick and thin, that has n- there's no other relationship with a woman that I have that with. And God has covenants with his people, not those who have rejected him. The covenants are with his people. We live in a society that is a contract society. Basically, if you give me what I need, I'll do X, Y, Z. For instance, a, a form of a contract, I have a contract with Verizon. You, you give me my, my internet and my phone and I will pay you this amount. That's a contract but God operates through covenant. Covenant is the frame or the bones that the promises of God progress through in the Bible. Let's start Genesis 3:15. All right, so this is shortly after Adam and Eve disobey God. This they they feel guilt and shame. For the first time, they're hiding from God, and God comes on the scene and he pronounces some curses. And he says to to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." This is what theologians call the first gospel. This is the beginning of the promise of God. It starts right here. The seed of the woman, Eve, will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. This theme is going to... When we get into Genesis and start going through Genesis, you're going to see this theme. It, It is... Everywhere in Scripture, it's all built upon this. Uh, Guy Waters says this, the multiple covenants that God makes with sinners across redemptive history are really administrations of this one gracious covenant introduced to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. All hell, literally hell has broke loose Death has entered the scene and God comes on and says, I will fix this with a seed, an offspring, a person. The seed of the woman is coming to undo all that the serpent has done. And the seed of the woman and the seeds of the serpent, are the seeds of both, there's, there's war. And this is when you read the Bible and you see Israel, God's people, and all the nations around them, what do they want to do to Israel? They want to wipe them off the face of the earth. They want them dead. They want them gone. This is the battle between the seeds. What is going on with the church throughout history? The church is persecuted. Why is the church persecuted? The seeds of the serpent want the seeds of Eve wiped off the face of the earth. This is the story of the Bible. It's part of the grand narrative of the Bible. This is what Jesus meant when he said to the Pharisees who were rejecting him, and he said, your father is the devil. He was calling them seeds of the serpent. But the seed of the woman is is something that just progresses all throughout the covenants. And we're going to look at the new covenant at the end and take communion and see how it all just culminates in in the new covenant. But early on in Scripture, Genesis 4.25, Adam and Eve, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and this is after Cain murders Abel. She bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring, seed. Here it is. Instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So what is Eve looking for? The one. The one to come. Is is, is Abel him? Maybe. Cain kills Abel. Cain is is cast off. Now it's like, is, is Seth? Is Seth the one, the one that will reverse this curse? And we go on. Lamech, the father of Noah. So the story progresses in Genesis. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So hear what Lamech is saying. Is Noah the one? Is this, the, is this son going to be the one that reverses this death that we see? This fallenness that we see? Because they're holding on to the promise. They're holding on to that promise that was given to Adam and Eve. The story continues to progress. Now we have Abraham. Abraham is called out of of an idolatrous land, and God calls him and, and establishes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. And here's our word again. And your offspring, your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So Abraham, God is saying, okay, the seed is going to come from you. The seed goes through Seth to Noah to Abraham And there's other places in Scripture where God says, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. All the nations are going to be blessed through your seed, through your offspring. By the end of the book of Genesis, Abraham, his family, his his son Isaac, his son Jacob, who was renamed Israel, they end up in Egypt. The beginning of Exodus starts like this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So this family, Abraham's family, 70 people, they go into Egypt. And then when we turn the page from the last page of Genesis to Exodus, we find out that they're a million strong. They, they multiplied the language here, fruitful, multiplied, filled. Doesn't that sound like other scripture somewhere else? Genesis. This is intentional. Moses wrote Exodus, Moses wrote Genesis. He is writing these words to say they were faithful to God's word. They multiplied, they filled the land. The story continues. To go on, they're in Egypt. A new pharaoh comes and says, These people are so numerous, they are a problem. We've got to do something with them. So they oppressed them, they made them slaves, they put them to forced labor. They basically said, These bricks that you guys are making, that we're having you make, And all this straw that we're providing you to make these bricks and you've got a quota to hit, we're going to take the straw away, go find your own straw and make the same amount of bricks. They were oppressed. They were put to to hard labor. But the story goes on. In Exodus 6, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I had remembered my covenant. So God is saying, okay, my people are in Egypt and you're being put to forced hard labor, but I remember the covenant that I made with Abraham, which is even going back to the covenant made with with, with Adam and Eve, that I will bless the nations through this people. I will bring you into a land, a fruitful land flowing with milk and honey. And you will, my name, will be exalted. So if you know the story, God raises up Moses and we have the ten plagues. And then the last plague, the plague of the firstborn. Every firstborn in the land is going to die. Unless, God tells his people, kill a lamb at twilight And take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts. And the angel of death that's coming in to kill the firstborn will pass over you. That's the Passover. And Jews today still keep the Passover. He leads them out of Egypt miraculously. Gives them the law on Mount Sinai. This is the Mosaic covenant. God is telling his people, here is how to live. Here is how to live differently than all the pagan nations around you that are killing their children, sacrificing their children, living sexually immoral lives, just living not under my order. God has taken his people and he's saying, this is how to be different. And in the book of Deuteronomy at the end, Moses lays out these, these are the blessings for obedience. This, will, this is what will happen if you're obedient to this law. And here are the curses if you're not. And if you rem- remember back to last year when we were in the book of Daniel, why were the people of God in Babylon? Because it was consequence for not following the law. So they were exiled. They were in Babylon. They were away from the temple. They could no longer worship the way that God prescribed them to worship. But when you read the prophets, the prophets are constantly on repeat, saying, return, repent. In fact, Jeremiah says it like this, Jeremiah was a prophet in that time when the people of God were, were exiled because they were cursed for the, their disobedience. And God is telling Jeremiah to, to, to give them this message. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return faithless Israel declares the Lord, I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. This word merciful is chesed, the Hebrew word chesed. It's the steadfast love of God that he will pursue his people no matter what. Chesed. It's a covenant word. It's a word that you're always going to find in the covenants. God is saying, you're my people, you're mine. I am jealous for you. I want you. I want you to worship me, not because I need worship, because that's the best thing for you. For I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. But get what he's saying here. This is key. Only acknowledge your guilt, that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice declares the Lord so the Lord is saying I am merciful you are my people but in the same breath he's saying you need to repent you can't be living like the nations around you and claim to be one of my people they don't go hand in hand turn from your sin and turn back to me. I've been doing some reading lately on spiritual renewal and it's uh, it's basically just going through revival. How does revival happen and how has it happened in the Bible? How has it happened in the church? And one of the things the author is laying out is renewal always happens in, with God's people, with three things. And, and he's going into the book of Nehemiah, the book of Ezra, Hosea in the temple, the, in Acts, in the history, in the Reformation, within, in, in the 1800s and the 1700s. The acknowledgement of God's holiness, the acknowledgement of the sin of man. I said three things, those are the two things, at least the two things I can think of right now. But the acknowledgement of God's holiness and our sin. And that's something within Christian circles that a lot of Christians are just saying, I don't want to hear about that. Tell me that I'm amazing. Tell me how much potential I have here. The problem with that is we all, in our minds and our hearts, can attest to the sin And the the insecurities and, and the messiness in all of our hearts. And when we go to God and say, I am sinful, I am a mess, He cleanses us. That's real freedom, that's real blessing in that. So God is calling His people to repent. But this promise is continuing to work its way through the Bible. And it's unfolding in a progressive way, the, the promise of the seed. And it, it gets to this point in 2 Samuel where, again, we have, we have the promise in Genesis, a seed is coming to crush the head of the serpent. And then we, we go to Abraham and we see that, well, that seed somehow is going to bless the nations. It's not only going to be for Israel, this is going to bless the nations And then we get to to Samuel and we see another unfolding of what this seed will be. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, this is God talking to David, I will raise up your offspring after you. There's our word again, offspring, who shall come from your body. So remember, Jesus, when you see all those genealogies in the Bible, if you read Matthew, Jesus is going to be connected, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the Christ. Right? Jesus is in David's line. So he says here, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This isn't a temporary king. Israel had many temporary kings. They would die. They would all die. Some would serve the Lord. Some would not. They all died. This promise now is saying this seed that is coming, he is going to be a king and he is going to sit on a throne forever. I think in some way all of our hearts are longing for a righteous king. We don't have this we don't have kings in, in America, and it can kind of be foreign to us, but when when you look at elections and politics and, and leadership and where you work and your bosses, we all want somebody leading us that is wise, just loving, tender, strong. Christ. Amen. That's Christ. David is a type of this king, but David died, David failed. Christ is the king. So God's people are in exile. They're in Babylon. They're suffering the consequence of, of what God said because they weren't faithful to the covenant And Jeremiah is preaching this. Jeremiah is preaching judgment, but he's also preaching hope. And he says this. This is what Evan read for us. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So he's saying, this covenant is not going to be like the covenant with Moses. He's, he's not talking about the Abrahamic covenant. He's talking about the covenant with Moses. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what Jeremiah is referring to here is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which happened at Pentecost. That all who believe, our hearts are regenerated. They're they're turned from hard hearts and hating God to loving God. This is something that God does. It's nothing that we do. And this is Jeremiah referring to this. There's other places in the Bible where Ezekiel prophesies that, hey, a day is coming where that heart of stone is coming out. I'm going to put a heart of flesh in there. The entire story of the Bible and the covenants is progressing towards Christ. And I would say... Beware if you're listening and hearing and learning from anybody who is saying it's not about Jesus. I've told this story before. We had a a young kid come in this church um, six months ago, maybe. I can't exactly remember. He came in. He listened to my sermon as I was preaching. And afterwards, I went out in the lobby. He beelined for me and immediately said, everything you just said was wrong. And again, I, I know... I do, I'm not um, infallible, and there are going to be some days I say things that are wrong, but my thought was, everything? <laughs> really? I mean, I've had bad days, but man, something should have been right. But after I talked to him and, and, and realized where he was coming from, it was because I was connecting the Bible to Christ, and he was saying, Christ is not God, so he was from a, a cult, and, and, a, and a cult that, that would say Jesus is not the Son of God. He is not equal to God. He is something else. He is you know, someone we look up to. He is um, perfection of man. Whatever he thought that they were wasn't what we're saying here, that the Bible is pointing to Christ right from Genesis, This is what Jesus means when he's arguing with the Pharisees. And he's like, look, you guys are trying to find life in the word, but you don't realize it's all about me. You refuse to come to me, he tells them, so that you'll have life. You're picking apart the scriptures and you're making them say something that they're not saying. The entire Bible The thrust of it is pointing to Jesus. He is the true Passover lamb who leads his people out of bondage from sin. In the book of John, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So right away, John the Baptist sees Christ and he says, That is what the Passover is all about, right there. Him, the Son of God, he is coming to take away the sin of of the world. The Passover was pointing to, to him, pointing to Christ. Paul says, Jesus is the true offspring of Abraham. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Again, there's our word. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ? God will bless the world through Abraham's offspring. Jesus. He will bless the world through Jesus. Jesus is also the the true king to rule and lead. In the book of Luke, we have it said like this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus is the everlasting king. The seed of the woman is the son of God. And this might not have been entirely clear throughout the Old Testament, but as the Bible progresses and the New Testament hits, it it becomes clear that this awaited seed, this Messiah That we're waiting for is not just a man, he is also God, fully God, fully man. And when we look to the new covenant, we have a a fulfillment in, in parts and a break in other parts. We're about in a, in a moment, we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, when you think about covenants, covenants have signs. I'm married. I have a, a sign right there of my marriage covenant. The sign of the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. And I, I don't know if you've ever wondered, why, why circumcision? Why? That, that seems strange, right? Is, maybe you've wondered that. Maybe you haven't. Well, think about the entire promise is about a seed. It's about a child being born, a child that is going to take away sin and undo all the works of the serpent and take this fallen world and recreate it to the world that it, not only the world that it was, but better. But that's happening through a seed. So so circumcision is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. We didn't get into it today, but the covenant with Noah. What's the sign with the covenant with Noah? Rainbow. Right? I'll put a bow in the clouds. So covenants have signs. And the sign of the, the new covenant, there's two signs of the new covenant, baptism and the Lord's Supper. One of them is done upon entrance into the covenant, and one is done regularly, the Lord's Supper. So we we will see here, Jesus, how he takes the Passover and applies it to himself. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat, eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So stop right there for a moment. There will be eating and feasting in the kingdom to come. That's a beautiful thing to think through. The new heavens and the new earth were not some floating around on a cloud spirit. We will be physical and there will be feasting. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, He said, in my blood. So Jesus is saying here, I am the Passover lamb. He's doing this on Passover. That's intentional. This blood, that blood that saved you and your 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 father, your forefathers on the doors, it's now my blood that saves you. The new covenant is sealed in the blood of Christ. And if you're in here and you're thinking I don't quite get all of this, and and I don't even feel worthy. I'm not good enough. You don't know my past. You don't know where I've been. I would just say, that's the whole point. That's why we're, we're here. As we've all broken God's law, we've all sinned against him and others, and we need reconciliation. We need a a blood sacrifice. Trust in Jesus if you haven't. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is kind. The Lord is loving. So as we think through communion here, I would just ask right now if you'd grab your, your juice cups. Maybe peel off the top. This is interesting, right? <laughs> so you've got your, your little wafer there. So when Jesus says, this is my body, he's, he's talking about the bread. Do this in remembrance of me. We, we, during communion, we can look back, all the way back through redemptive history. We can look to the Passover. We can go all the way back into Genesis and, and, and look to the promise. But before we eat, let's take a moment to, in our hearts and our minds, confess. We are sinners. We have broken God's holy and perfect law. We do deserve his wrath. But Jesus' body was broken for us, and he took that. So let's eat together. All right, let's peel back the. This one could get a little spilly. Be careful. But not only are we looking back, we're also looking forward. Paul says when, when, about the Lord's Supper, he says, every time we do this, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So there's an element of the Lord's Supper that is looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the, the feast of, that we will have in the kingdom, the feast that Jesus is talking about in this passage. The feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The feast of God's people. And oh, what a feast it will be. And he spilled his blood so we could have that. Let's drink. There's nothing special in the juice that we just drank or the wafer that we ate. They're not magic. But Jesus has commanded the Lord's Supper as a means of grace, a means to commune with him, to get closer to him as a body. And through faith, we grab a hold of that. And that's what's happening now as a body. Our faith in in Christ, we're eating and drinking because he commanded it. And somehow, we're getting closer to Christ. Not because there's anything special in this, but because Christ has commanded his people to do it as a way for us to get closer and commune with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the new covenant. God, help us to see what Jesus said of himself, that all scripture is is pointing to him. God, we want to worship you. Our hearts were made to worship you. And so often we worship other things, things you've made instead of you. Lord, as we sing this last song together as a body of believers, just we pray that your spirit will sweetly touch us. We thank you for the Lord's Supper. We thank you that you've given us a physical, tangible means to to smell and taste that reminds us of the the covenant that you've made with us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.